Good morning. Welcome this morning to Milestone Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And as Alex said, if this is your first time, we're thrilled that you joined us today. If I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you before service, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we're continuing in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Subject to Change. And we're looking at what, it, what, is it, what does life look like? when we have to navigate change that comes about. And we've been doing this in the backdrop of uh, the book of Exodus and the people of Israel. But, but you may be wondering, you know, what, what, why change? Well, why are we talking about this topic? Well, here's what we've learned. And even looking at the people of Israel, sometimes change comes about because God answers our prayer. <laughs> like, God, help us out a little bit. And he does it. It just may not look the way we thought. It was going to look. Sometimes change happens and it's unexpected. We didn't realize things were going to happen that way. But here's what I've learned about myself. I, I, my own personality, I like to think I have enough determination and willpower to, to push through and navigate change. But here's the thing about change. It doesn't matter what your personality is, how much determination you have, willpower, drive, all of those things. At the end of the day, God is always doing something in us. God is bringing about change because there's something he wants to do inside of us. And, and what I've learned is I look at my life over uh, the last 43 years now. There haven't always been times where I've navigated change well. I haven't always responded correctly to change. Things happen. You know what I'm talking about? Change happens. And, and sometimes you react rather than respond don't look at me like you never have those moments. I mean, y'all, holy up in it. I mean, you have those moments. I have those moments. I'm human. And I'd like to think that I respond correctly, but I don't. And here's what I recognize, that God uses those moments to do something in me. And what he's actually doing in me is helping me discover and then apply his nature and his character to my life. That's what he's doing in each and every single one of us. And so we're looking at this, this aspect, this thought, this understanding of how do we navigate change. And, and as we're looking at the story of the people of Israel and the Exodus, uh, their Exodus story, it really is a story of God bringing freedom and transformation. And, and I think about the freedom and transformation that's happening, particularly in our young people. I was reminded of this this week, this past week. Uh, we started something called Super Series and Elevate, and we had more middle school and high school students here than they'd ever had at Elevate. Uh, so many first-time guests, kids giving their life to the Lord, and it was just amazing to see. And you know what I love about it is like I pulled up to pick, because I have a child in Elevate now. I have a daughter in Elevate, you know, so I come and I pick up my daughter, and, you know, you walk out, and you've got all these kids. There's like 60-some-odd kids, 50 kids out here just running around playing. Well, they get innovative. You know anything about kids, you know? So, so if you pulled in today and you're like, normally those lights on this side of the building are a little higher. Well, they would turn those lights out here into a volleyball net. And you had all these kids hitting a volleyball. But you know what? I said, for the glory of God, if just one kid gave their life to Jesus, let them play volleyball over some hanging lights, okay? But it's not about all of those things. At the end of the day, the same thing that we're doing here on a weekend where we're creating an environment for you and your family to experience Jesus, we're doing the same for our young people. Why? Because when they experience freedom and transformation, something happens in their life. And so we're excited. Be praying for them. I just want to celebrate uh, Alex and Haley and all the, the volunteers, the student leaders. Yeah. Thank you to all the parents that came up here to serve. 
all you mamas and daddies that came up here to help out and give away. I don't know what they get. They had like Chick-fil-A and I don't know. They had all sorts of stuff. They could just give them food, give them stuff, but most importantly, give them Jesus. And uh, that's the thing that's going to last. So I want you to open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 32. We're going to pick up starting verse 1. We'll get there in just a minute, but we're studying the book of Exodus. We're, we're looking at the people of Israel, and I've been sharing with you and kind of uh, giving you this understanding of what's happening here, that God is leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. He's leading them into the promised land. It takes about 11 years, uh, or, or it, it takes about 11, it should take about 11 days, but it ends up taking 40 years. There's 2.5 million people that leave Egypt, but only two of the original 2.5 make it there. And we've been talking about why. We've been looking, and and I'm going to share some stuff with you today. Again, if you thought last week and the week before, you're thinking, this is crazy. I mean, we've been talking about clouds by day and fire by night, and then last week, it was like the original DoorDash, and you had manna from heaven falling, and what is happening here Just wait till we look at today and what God is doing in the hearts of the people of Israel. I want to stop at really the first place that the people of Israel stop at. They they think it's maybe about, scholars think it's probably about three months into leaving Egypt. And they come to this place called Mount Sinai. When they come to Mount Sinai, it's in this moment that Moses actually goes up to the mountain to be with God. It, It says that Moses met God Face to face. It's a miracle that, that he didn't die. He's in the presence of God and he's up there. But it took a little bit longer than the people wanted it to take. It, it, it says that he was up there about 40 days. Well, during that time, he's getting the Ten Commandments. How many of you familiar with the Ten Commandments? Anyone remember the Ten Commandments? You know the Ten Commandments? How many of you can? No, I'm just kidding. You don't, have to, you don't have to quote all ten. All right. You know the Ten Commandments. You come down. He comes down. And here's what's crazy. He's coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. While he's up there meeting with God, the people of Israel are at the bottom of the mountain breaking The first two commandments, don't have any other gods before me and don't make any images or idols before you. So here he is getting a message from God for the people of Israel. Takes a little bit longer than they wanted. They get a little impatient. And and so they're down there and they start taking things into their own hand. It was one of these moments that maybe if you were a... Texas A&M fan you had yesterday. I know, I know, I know. And you're thinking, they did what? Have you ever had a they did what moment? Okay, I know of some, some Arkansas fans in the church. We, the only time I root for Arkansas is when they're playing A&M or, or OU because I'm a Longhorn fan, all right? I know there have been these nasty pictures. One of the guys sent me a picture about, you know, big brother, little brother, and daddy. I was like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You know, had, you know, longhorns, all right? So he, you know, I'm like, well, you think, you ever had one of those moments? Here, I'll, I'll let you just, I don't even, I won't even give you an illustration because something will pop in your mind. If you have children between the ages of like two and like 25, no, I'm just kidding. You've had a moment where you hear something, your spouse tells you something, and the first words out of your mouth are, they did what? What is happening? I've had a few of those. You come home, and they painted the wall. What? They did what? They broke what? They went where? They did what? That is what is happening in this situation. 
Moses is up meeting with God. He comes down. And he's like, they did what? What is happening here? Now, now I want to make it very clear. I also want to make sure that you understand as we're navigating change, I'm not taking the significance of this story. Moses meeting with God, God giving the Ten Commandments, God bringing the people out of Egypt. I'm not reducing the significance of this story down to the challenges that we have when it comes to change with job or family or season or situation. But what I do want to do is help us understand that in the context of this story, here's what's happening. God is always, there's always something happening that is topical. When you read God's word, when you get into the Bible, and sometimes that's what makes it hard for some of us to read. We don't understand what is it that God is talking about? What is he doing? What's happening? But rest assured that as you look at the backdrop of what's practically happening in the story, at the end of the day, what God is doing is saying, I want to help you understand what I was trying to do for the people in that moment. I'm trying to work on their heart. I'm wanting to do something inside of them. And so as we look at this story, this is more about understanding and recognizing what God is wanting to do inside the people of Israel, inside of their heart. But he's also setting up what he's wanting to do inside of us. You see, God is always wanting to bring about change and transformation in us. And as we look at Exodus 32, the people, as I said, they've made camp bottom of of Mount Sinai. This is really the first extended stop they've had. They've been traveling, but they're stopping here. They're they're posting up just a little bit, taking some time. And and as I said, Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments. He's coming down. And and watch what happens in the camp. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screens. We'll have it there for you. It says, when the people saw... That Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, I love how he went from hero to fellow. You know what I mean? I mean, this guy just led him out of slavery in Egypt. He's the man. Yeah, it's kind of like the way you think about your current uh, college football coach, okay? It's like he went from hero to zero. He's just a fellow now. I mean, it's in the word of God. This guy, this fellow, Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, that phrase, you're going to see this over and over. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know where he's at. We don't know what's going on. You see, what begins to happen is they didn't understand what was happening. And so they did what most of us do in a moment like this. They're going, hey, you know, we we want what everyone else kind of has. We're not satisfied with what's going on. We don't know where Moses is at, so so help us out here. And and they got a little impatient. Verse 2, it says that Aaron answered them. It says, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Verse 3, so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed them, and he made it into an idol. Get this. Watch it. I'm telling you, this is crazy. Watch what happens here. Cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. 
Now, remember last week we talked about provision. I, I want you to recognize something. There's a significance to the fact that they, uh, they, they made this calf, okay? Because during this time, calves and bulls were commonly uh, referred to. They were symbolic to fertility in the ancient world, okay? And, and what that signified and symbolized was abundance or provision. Now, I want you to understand what's happening. Where had they been? They'd been living in Egypt, another culture, they had seen what other cultures were doing. And in the middle of on this journey to freedom, on this journey to something God has in store for them, they got a little impatient. They got a little frustrated. They are confused. And they ended up fashioning something that looked like what everyone else around them had. And they're looking. God just got done going, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide exactly what you need. Every single day, every single day, I'm going to take care of you. He's with you. He's for you. Yet here they are. They're trying to take things into their own hands, and they're beginning to go, hey, look, we're going to do this, and we're going to fashion this in a way that we think will bring about provision. Now, I want you to recognize what Aaron did. Aaron said, hey, okay, I recognize this calf. You know what we're going to do? Let's combine this with the Lord, and we're going to have a festival as under the Lord. You see, that's the temptation that we all face. To take the things that we see everyone else doing and go, let me just kind of attach this to Jesus and we'll kind of make it look similar. We'll kind of make it look the same. We'll kind of go, hey, this is what culture and society is saying, okay, and this is what, what we think is all right and what we want to do. And we're just going to put Jesus on it and feel better about it. That's exactly what Aaron did. This is what happens. This is the temptation when in the middle of change, when things are taking a little bit longer than you want, that this is what begins to happen. Well, let's pick up the rest of the story and watch what happens in verse 19 when Moses comes down the mountain. Remember, Moses is coming down. This is a, they did what kind of a moment, all right? You weren't the first one to experience that. Verse 19, it says this. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, okay, they, they, they've uh, 40 days. I mean, it didn't take long for just the wheels to fall off, did it? You know what I mean? You're, you're thinking like, man, this week's been crazy. My house is a mess. Clothes everywhere, piles everywhere. I mean, hey, 40 days, you're doing better than Moses. Moses went off. He was gone for about a month. And these brothers, he came down. They got an idol. They're dancing. I don't know what they're wearing while they're dancing, if they're wearing anything at all. Who knows what's happening? It's a full-on fiasco. That's what's happening here. It says his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire and then he ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and he made the Israelites drink it. That was kind of like the original, like, you know, your mom put soaps in your mouth, soap in your mouth, say a bad word. Like, you did that, we're going to melt this down. Now drink it, all right? You, you did that, now you're going to drink it. That's what's happening here. It says in verse 21, it said, and he said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that you led them in such great sin? Watch Aaron's response, verse 22. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. When you look all throughout this word right here, here's the temptation. And so often, and we do it too, it's so easy to shift the blame. So, easy, well, they did, well, they, like, like they made him do this. Like, you know how bad, watch what he says, verse 23. They said to me, 
Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold, jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And out came a calf. You ever had like, hey, kids, who broke the coffee table? I don't know. Well, there's only three of you. It wasn't broken before I left. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was like some, have, does anyone else have like an a invisible person that lives in your house that tends to break or destroy things and none of your children know what happened to it? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just my home. That's what Aaron is saying. I don't know how this happened. I mean, I just threw it in the fire. And poof, there isn't it amazing how previously it says that he actually fashioned it with a tool? There was intent and intentionality. And again, going back to the dynamic and understanding of the, the significance of the calf, what are they looking towards? They don't understand what's happening. They don't like the process and how long it's taking, so they take things into their own hands. You see, our hearts wander, but God keeps pulling us back to him. You see, when you look at this story, it's such a significant story. This isn't the only time it's referencing God's word. In fact, Stephen mentions this in Acts chapter 7. Look at Acts 7 verse 39. It says, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts, in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt... We don't know what has happened to him. You see, here's what's happening. God is wanting them to recognize that what he's wanting to do is not simply coming through a particular place, thing, or person. What he's wanting to do is actually inside of them. And he, the God of all the universe, wants to work inside of them. But what was the thing they couldn't seem to get past? Where is Moses, this guy? Moses was the significant part. He was simply, though, the tool that God used, the individual that God used to lead him out of Egypt. But now, because they, in their heart, had potentially elevated him to a place as though he is their savior, once he's gone, what did they do? Well, we're going to look for something else because we don't know where this guy Moses is. And I love how Stephen captures this. He says it's in their heart that they turn back to Jesus. You see, God is always wanting to come back to the issues of the heart. God's wanting to guide our heart. Now, this story, yes, it's about the idol, but it's also about more than that. It's God's desire to say, listen, it's not just simply this, it's not a cloud by day, fire by night, it's not manna from heaven. It's something I'm wanting to do inside of you. I, there's something I want to do inside of your heart. It's not about just simply the idol. It's about God saying, I want to give you something. I want to do something in you that's, far, that's going to outlast all these other things that you just keep dialing into. So how does God do that? How, how is God guiding our heart? Because at the end of the day, that's what God's wanting to do. Well, I've been showing you each and every week this progression of how God begins to work in our life, whether it's through provision, whether it's through guiding, whether it's through guiding and doing a work in our heart. What does that look like? Well, first is this. He does it through the law. He does it through the law. Now, some people say, well, the, the law, and do we need to abide by the law? Well, it is the law that shows us the distance that we have between us 
imperfect and broken people and a perfect God. Not that we simply are ruled or or overwhelmed or cast down by the law, but we recognize ultimately in the moment of our recognition of where we come up short, our need for Jesus. That's what the law does. So when you look, Deuteronomy 26, 16, it says, carefully follow what? The law with all of your heart. Well, the law then goes from just simply us receiving the law. Well, now it's got to be passed on. So how does he guide our heart? Well, now he teaches us the law. This is why it's so important and significant about walking with people, helping people understand. Deuteronomy 32, 46, command your children to obey what? The law. There's a teaching component to help them understand the context of right and wrong. How to live a a life that honors God. And so as we begin to recognize the law, we teach the law, then what happens is the way God guides our heart is we begin to pray the law. We pray the law. 1 Kings 8, 58, may he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and to keep the commands and decrees and the laws. So, Lord, let my heart be turned towards you. Let me honor you in all that I say and all that I do. But here's what I love about God. He doesn't stop here. He says, I recognize there is a greater way, a more significant way to be able to do this. And so God's plan transcends just giving of the law, teaching the law, and praying the law. Here's what God's plan is. When you look in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Why? Because God's desire is always to have relationship with you. Because then his plan culminates in what? Jesus. Jesus. It culminates in Jesus, where Jesus is the culmination of all of those things. The law, the teaching of the law, praying the law. God's plan ultimately fulfilled. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And you show... That you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are the letter written on the hearts of people that what I'm doing and what I want to do is significant in your life. You see, God is working On the heart. This is how he guides our heart. And ultimately, it's Jesus that guides our heart. That is his plan. You see, we think that the problem with our hearts are all the things externally. I had a moment yesterday, I'll be honest. We go, we're hanging out as a family, a little hot and little things here and there, maybe kind of frustrating me a little bit. And, you know, and I just kind of like had a a weak moment, got a little frustrated. Wendy's like, is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, everything's all right. No, I didn't really say it like that. But it helped me to say, okay, wait a minute. And I was like, you know what? She said, you seem a little this. And I said, you know what? I apologize. Well, what is it? And I said, well, I mean, here's some of the things I think it could be. But irregardless of those things, I apologize for how I'm responding and reacting. It's not okay. What was that? You see, we live our life thinking that it's the external things. That's why my heart's the way it is. I went through this. I went through that. Someone did this to me. Someone did that to me. No, no, no. At the end of the day, God is saying the real change has to happen in us. It, it, it's, he's doing a work inside of us. Jesus is always looking at the heart. You see, the devil, you'll, you'll always have a reason why you did what you did. The devil will always talk to you about someone else, but the Holy Spirit will always talk to you about your heart. 
Oh, I did this, cousin, cousin, cousin. Fill in the blank, put a name there, put a whole list of names there. You can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's the enemy that's talking to you about everybody else, but it's the spirit of God that's saying, I want to talk to you about you. I want to talk to you about your heart, your attitude, your lack of forgiveness, your bitterness, your tone. I want to talk to you. Why? Because you go back to Jeremiah 31, 33. What does it say? I will write the law in their hearts and I will be their God. And they will be my people. You see, at the end of the day, God's saying, I'm going to get at your heart. I, I want to develop some things inside of you. Why? Because I have great things in store for you. And so I want to share with you a couple of things that I think that as we look at these, that these are things that begin to surface when we go through change. These are challenges internally in our heart that we all have a temptation to fall into when we go through change. And if we'll look at how to navigate these things, it's going to help us because each one of these things are going to surface when change and transition happens. So what are those things? First is this. We tend to wrestle with the fact that it takes too long. And you're in the middle of change. You ever felt like this is taking too long? What's going on? It's like the endless, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? You thought you outgrew it. You're still doing that with God. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And what begins to happen is we get so impatient. Think about it. Notice the reason for the idol. Moses took too long. Where's this guy Moses? I mean, he's been gone 40 days. We thought he'd be gone a day, two, I mean a week max. 40 days? Okay. Let's, uh, Aaron, what are we going to do? We, 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 we don't know who this guy Moses is. Oh, you know, give me all your gold. Poof, there's a calf. All right, we're going to worship that. That's what happens. It takes too long. And I want to encourage you, when change happens, don't allow the impatience, your impatience in the middle of change to cause you to make a decision that could be detrimental. Because that's the most vulnerable spot. When you're in the middle of change and it's taking longer than you want, you are in a vulnerable spot to turn to something other than God. Because it's taking too long. But if we would just be patient and recognize and understand, God is working and he is moving. You see, God had something. Look, you think about it. God had something so significant and important for them, but they got impatient. God has something bigger than you think. His word says he does exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. How many of us miss out on that because we get impatient and we just sidetrack and take on something else? Truth is, when you look throughout the word of God, there are so many examples of that. So many examples of someone being impatient and, and going, it just takes too long. And when it begins to take, to take too long, here's what happens, is then we get distracted. I mean, distraction is a real thing. And you begin to pursue something else. I mean, even scientifically, it's noted that like the, the, the way in which we get distracted in our day and age. In fact, science and studies show that the average person self-distracts every three minutes. Think of that. Self-distract. And typically, for most of us, it's on our phone. It's on our device. And we just swipe, swipe, swipe. Average smartphone users touch their phones 2,600 times a day. That's a lot of swiping. 
But you know what it is? Maybe this will help me. Maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe this will provide for me. Maybe this is where I'll find my security. Maybe this is where. Maybe this is what I need. Maybe this is what I need. And here's what begins to happen. You get so distracted that they say, scientists say it takes an average of just over 23 minutes to actually realign back into getting focused on what you were doing. We get distracted. And here's what happens when we get distracted. We get restless. Anyone ever been restless? We had a staff gathering. One of our pastors on staff at our Keller campus sharing a message about restlessness. It was, it was amazing. Such a good message about, but at the end of the day, when you boil it down, I'll summarize what he said into these two things. What happens is when you become restless, you compare and you complain. That's what it comes down to. And so what happens is when you're comparing, well, if I had this, if I had that, you don't even know their story. You're swiping or wondering or assuming, and you don't even know the context of where they're at or what they're going through, but you compare and then you complain. If I just had, if I just had, if we had this, if we had that. When really the real posture we should have is stewarding what God has given you. Because if you stewarded what you had before you, what could happen? And you just may continue to keep taking steps to God's provision and promise for your life. But we get distracted. We all do. But there's a better way. There's a better way. Those distractions, they slow us down. In fact, I love what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now you may go, well, I'm not making any golden calves in my backyard, Pastor Chris. I love what the New Living Translation says. Keep away from anything that may take God's place in your hearts. You start putting it that way, well, wait a minute. Does that mean, probably, if that's what's distracting you, that's where you're finding your peace, that's where you're finding your security, that's where you're finding your fulfillment, just maybe it could be an idol. It's something that's taking your attention and your heart from God. We have to settle this in our hearts because if we don't, what we begin to do is we want what other people have. We want what other people have. And that restlessness, that comparing, that complaining, it becomes significant. And you think about, again, even just thinking about young people, there's such a massive, overwhelming measure of anxiety that young people face today that we don't face. And for us as adults, we're like, why, like, why do they face that? I mean, they just need to like toughen up, get over it. And that may be true, but you want to know why? Because they're probably on a device that simply elevates Everything they're not and what they think everyone else is or has. And so the enemy creeps in and overwhelms them with anxiety and fear and complaining and comparison and feeling like they're never going to measure up because if we don't settle it in our heart, we just simply want what other people have. And rest assured, though, that's not just for young people. We can experience that, too. You can experience those things of comparing and, and complaining yourself. And when that begins to happen, it's the fourth thing. The fourth challenge that we experience is we lose sight of truth. You see, you got to remember that they didn't have the Bible. The Israelites didn't have the Bible at that time. It wasn't written. The, 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 the truth at that time, they didn't have the word of God. But what was happening is that God was wanting to give them more than just rules in the desert, he was wanting to give them himself. He was wanting to give them an infrastructure, a pattern to help navigate because it's the truth that anchors you. 
See, some of you in here, my, my, my brother, my middle brother, he gets motion sickness. I don't know if any of you have motion sickness. You get motion sickness, and you're kind of like, whoa. You know, it's like you need a patch behind the ear and all that stuff. But it's kind of like when everything stops moving, you're okay. Right? You're okay. But I don't know about you. Have you ever, there was one time we went and had a, a friend of mine, and, uh, and I don't really get motion sickness. I mean, I get a little bit, I, I, I've told you before, I've been transparent. I'm like, if I'm not, most of the time I want to drive. It could be someone else's vehicle. I just I have control issues. I want to be the one driving the car, you know. I'll ask you if we're riding together. I may go, can I drive your vehicle? I know it's a little weird, but I just, I do. If not, I want to sit in the front seat because I just need to, like, it helps me see. So I, I don't think I have motion sickness, but I get a little bit. My brother, though, he's got motion sickness. But there was one time I was with a friend. We were down in the Gulf just off Lake Charles in, in Louisiana, and we went out, and a lot of times we'll go fishing out off of, uh, like, off these oil rigs, real deep, a lot of fit. They gather around that. Well, we were in a smaller boat, and the water was really choppy. And I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat in the open ocean, and that water, boom, 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 you're going all over. Okay, there's no, like, you're driving the car, and I need to pull over, like, stop the movement, and the moment the movement stops, I'm okay. When you're out in the ocean, you don't experience motion sickness, you get seasick. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been seasick, you're like, it's just full on. You're just hanging over the edge and hanging on for life. I mean, it's just like, it is the worst thing. I mean, it is bad. And we were out there, and I'm telling you, it's booming. And I, we're, we're, I'm trying to catch fish. I just told, I was, he's a buddy of mine. His name is Dr. Ray. I said, Doc, we got to go back. Well, I'm, if we don't go back, it ain't going to be pretty, you know. And so we end up going back, but it reminded me, and I thought of where so many people today are at. Seasick because they're tossed around from the culture and every one one minute it's this, the next minute it's that. What and there is no anchor that they have to God's truth to hold them. The Bible says you're tossed to and fro. That's what's happening. And when you don't have an anchor of God's truth in your life, then the seas of this culture are tossing you back and forth, and you're spiritually seasick because you have no anchor in your life. It's his word that anchors us. Not what's popular, not what's uh, 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 a hot topic today. And listen, it's not just culturally. Even in, 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 in society, like even within Christian culture, there are so many things that begin to happen that we begin to look at and go, oh, well, maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is the thing when at the end of the day, hold on, we're going to anchor to God's truth. This is going to be the lens that we view through. This is going to be the umbrella and the ultimate authority that we are under because when we don't have an anchor to the truth of God, then the last challenge that we begin to experience is this we turn our hearts to idols. We we begin to turn. And we need to know what the dominant things in life, what the priorities are and what the lesser things are. The dominant things that, that you're a child of God, the errancy of his word, that Christ died on the cross for your sins and for mine, that there's nothing you can do to earn that salvation, that you can be born again and you're no longer spiritually dead, but you now are spiritually alive. But what happens is it's amazing how we can take the lesser things and we elevate them to the ultimate thing. And that's simply what an idol can be. It's not just simply a bad, negative, wicked, evil thing. It could be a good thing that you make the ultimate thing. Your kids can be an idol in your life. Your job, your financial status, 
the things that you're trying to accumulate, they can become idols because you end up looking at those things to bring the safety and security that only God can bring. All of it can become an idol unless it's surrendered to the Lord. But I'm reminded, how, how do we overcome that? It, it, maybe you recognize things in your life that you're going, whoa, 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 I'm holding on to this thing. And I've allowed this thing to become an idol, to push through. I'm not talking about not working hard. I'm not saying you shouldn't be financially secure or, or well prepared. I mean, look, we live in an affluent area, not only of the state of Texas, but of the United States of America. There is a lot of resources here, a lot and can I tell you, comfort, affluence, things, they can be an idol. They can be an idol. So what, what do we do? I love the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. Here's what the process looks like. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, there's things in your life. That God's saying, I want you to turn from and to. You see, it's not just the turning to. I can remember being on a missions trip in India. And the Hindu people are sometimes the easiest people to share the gospel with. Because as a Hindu, they worship many gods. So to turn to Jesus is actually relatively easy. They're like, yeah, Jesus? I'm just making one of my other 3,000 gods. Oh, but he's the one true God, and I have to turn from all my other gods? That becomes hard. Now, for you, you may go, well, that doesn't translate. I mean, I'm not Hindu. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to serve multiple gods. Well, think of it this way. It's not just simply a turning to, but turning from and what God's wanting to do in your life. Some of you are in this season. You've got little ones. Remember diaper duty? I can remember those days. I can remember... I can remember uh, 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 baby showers. And I remember you get so many diapers. I was like, what, do we really need all these? I'm like, it still ain't enough. Once you have one, you're like, man, can, can someone double it up? I need quadruple. I mean, I, you just soon light those on fire. I mean, kids, nothing worse. You change the diaper, you know. They went number one. And then two minutes later, they went number two. I'm like, dang, if I just held them in that dirty diaper a little bit longer, I would have got a two-for-one deal there. I mean, it's like. I just wasted a diet, and you're cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. You're like, oh, my gosh, you know. But what Paul is saying here, imagine with your children, that little dirty diaper. And instead of taking the old diaper off and cleaning them up, putting a new diaper on, you just went ahead and got a new diaper and just put it on top of the old diaper. You wouldn't do that, would you? That's ridiculous. But how many of us do that with the issues of our heart? Paul is saying, turn from. That, that process that people go through, like when, when you're studying other world cultures and evangelism, it's called syncretism. You see it often in communities like India. Where rather than going, no, 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 turn from all your other gods and follow you. They go, okay, you know what, just add him to what you're doing. Syncretism, it means to synchronize. To just bring together. Don't look to syncretism to solve what you're experiencing. If you're wanting to really go, okay, God, I'm going to turn to you. I don't want to live distracted. I want to be patient in the process. There's probably some things you may have to turn from. 
maybe some unhealthy habits. Maybe some coping mechanisms that are pulling you away and causing a fracture between you and your family or your loved one. And you're thinking, I can manage that. <laughs> no, you can't. No. It's like having a pet dragon. You may not believe in dragons. They're in the Bible, though. Old Testament. I'll show you some other time. Thinking, oh, it's cute and sweet. That pet dragon going to grow up. That pet dragon gonna be hungry. You think you can control that pet dragon? One day that pet dragon gonna eat you alive. That's what happens in our life when it comes to sin, when it comes to issues of idols that we look to bring security in our own life, when only God 